0: Let's, uh, let's open in, in a word. <clears throat> Father, we just come before you this morning, and we thank you, Lord, that, that you're not ashamed to call us your sons and to call us your friends. And we thank you, Lord, for your kindness to each one of us, that you haven't dealt with us according as our sins have deserved, but that you have given us your mercy and that your mercies are new every morning. And we ask, Father, that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray that you would forgive us of our transgressions and our sins. We pray that you'd continually uh, break the chains of things that still hold us. We pray that you would remove from our heart, from our mind, and from our life those things that are uh, choking the seed of the Word um, and keeping us from becoming fruitful in our Christian lives. We ask, Lord, that you'd continue to renew our minds, that we uh, wouldn't think like the world or, or like the old man, but that we would be renewed in the spirit of our mind and, uh, and that we might think like Christ. We pray that you would make adjustments in, in our perspectives, in the way that we uh, make decisions and the way that we plan for the future. And that in all things, Lord, we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We pray that you would make us more Christ-like. We ask that you would uh, just shine your searchlight upon our heart each, each day and, and continually more and more that we would uh, see those areas, Lord, where we are just needing to change and needing to die and that you would help us to take up our cross and that we would be like Jesus. And I just pray that you would work that in us, Lord. We pray that you would increase our prayer life, that you would teach us to pray. Lord, we know the mechanics, and and we understand the concept. But, Lord, that you would draw us aside, that, that you would uh, put, put, put such a hunger in us for more of you, that it, we would be compelled to, to seek you, to talk to you, Lord. And so we pray for that. We pray for our marriages. We pray that, Lord, that you would help us to be husbands that are Christ-like, that we would lay down our lives for our wives, Lord, and for our children, that we would be the, the kind of men, Lord, that would be just pleasing to you, that we could be an example of the believer in our homes, Lord. We pray for our uh, life situations, Lord, our careers and uh, our jobs, our responsibilities. We, we pray that you would help us, Lord, that we wouldn't be self-sufficient in in doing the things that we do, but that we would be able to uh, lean upon you in all things, Lord. I think of Jacob, who it says that he worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. And I pray, Father, that we would never think that we can handle life without you, we wouldn't separate. And so we just commit our lives to you this morning afresh. We pray that your will would be done in each one of us. We pray that you would remind us personally that you know us, and that you're working all things together for the good. And we just pray that you would revive us, Lord, that we wouldn't be uh, slowing down in our in our walk or our race with you, that we wouldn't be stagnant or backsliding, but that we'd be revived, that we'd be on fire, that our lamps would be burning, and and that we would be committed to you. And so we just ask you, Lord, to do that. We pray for this time that we have. Right now, we ask that your word would come to life, Lord, that as we look at the sayings of Jesus, that it would come alive. Your word tells us that when you walked with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that when you spoke to them and and, and revealed the scripture, and you talked about how Jesus was in the scripture, it says that their hearts burned within them. So we pray, Father, that that would be true here this morning, that as we hear the words of Jesus, they wouldn't be textbook teaching, that it wouldn't be like reading a philosopher or a guru, but we pray that the Holy Spirit would bring the words to life and that our hearts would burn, that our love would wax hot, and that our lives would be changed. And we just lift up this whole time. Lord, be with us here this morning and bless bless us, Lord, according to your truth. According to your promise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, men. This is men's discipleship. Our purpose, our objective is to know Jesus, is to hear his voice, to discover his will for our lives, specifically to grow in our relationship with him, to become more dependent and more in our Christian faith, to hear his voice more clearly, to know him, as he said, is the criteria of those that are saved, is that they know him, is that we might know him, and that ultimately we would bear fruit in our Christianity, not just simply take up space in a church or make a profession with our mouth, but that our lives would bear good and lasting fruit, that we would discover God's call. each one of us and and that we'd be driven in that area that we would serve him and so that's our that's our objective that's why we're here it's not a program it's not another bible study it's not education it's discipleship and development so may god uh may god hear our prayer and see our desire as we're here and and may challenge us and, and and may may that happen may those things happen by his grace you know so Uh, You can open in your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 13. One of the things that, that I enjoy the most about being a parent is teaching my kids and explaining to them how this life works. You know, they, they come into this planet and they know nothing. You know, they're, they're subject to all of the laws of the universe and, and even the unwritten, unspoken laws of culture and society, and they come as like blank sheets of paper. They're completely... Unaware of everything that's going on, and there's two ways of 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 learning how things work. One is through experience, and the other is through education. And I love the privilege I have as a, as a dad to be able to educate my kids I, as far as the way things work. You know, I, my little daughter Sarah. You know, she's um, I don't know how old she is. I think she's seven, and. <laughs> <laughs> if I had one, okay, if I only had one, then then that's bad. But if you have four, you cannot know, you know. <laughs> Birthdays come and go so quick. I don't even know what month it is, you know, but to see her interact with my 1-year-old, Riley, and and to see them all interact is is great, you know. Um because th- there's so much difference you know they—they've got this little baby now too that they're taking care of. And the other day I was watching, and and uh, and 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 Riley was about to do something that would be injurious to himself, and so Sarah, who was the closest to him, she immediately put her arm up to block him from moving forward. You know, which would would cause him to fall. And and his immediate reaction when she put her arm up is that he smacked her in the face. <laughs> And he's, he's, he's he doesn't have any edge as far as an attitude goes, like he's not a fussy kid, he's not like he, he's not like that, you know some kids they just have that he, that's just not like him, but that was knee jerk. you know she stopped him from doing what he wanted to do, and his reaction was, "Get out the way <laughs> you know and, and and so you know and so it was kind of it was interesting to watch, but then to to be able to take Sarah aside and then explain to her something about human nature. And say, listen, that's the way human people respond when you try to restrict them, you know. And and so there are ways of dealing with people, you know, other than than that. And, and 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 all I'm saying is that it's I, as a father, take great joy in in teaching my kids the way things work, how to deal with people, how to deal with culture, how to deal with society, how to deal with choices, because. You know, we're all subject to these things just being citizens of this earth. You know, we have them. And so I can take my 30 plus years of human experience and I can, you know, communicate to my children and, and help them as they, you know, walk their own life. You know. Now, Jesus was a citizen, really the king of a whole separate kingdom, not the realm of men and the kingdom of earth but the realm of the spirit, and it's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God operates on a completely different plane, and it has a whole different system and structure than the kingdom that we are in right now. It's got its own laws. I'm not talking about ethics so much and morals, but I'm talking about the way things work. It's got its own nature, its own science, if you would. You know, like we understand gravity and, you know, the various rules of, uh, you know, just science and existence physically. Well, the kingdom of God has its own rules, its own laws, its own system, and its own structure. And Jesus, as the parent, also instructs his children into the way things work in his realm, in his kingdom. And so as we look at the teachings of Jesus, and we come now into the section in Matthew chapter 13, what we have in front of us is a series of Thir- uh, seven parables that Jesus gave that are all called they're, they're, you know, he didn't call them this so much but they're basically called the kingdom parables what Jesus calls them is the mysteries of the kingdom and what he's going to communicate in these seven parables are basically the spiritual laws of God's universe or of God's kingdom the kingdom of God how things work The culture, the society, the way things work in God's kingdom, it's what Jesus is seeking to teach his disciples here in the same way that we would teach our children the way things work in this life. Jesus is teaching them the way things work in the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not something that begins in the afterlife. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is among you. It isn't something that's yet future that we're awaiting that someday we'll experience, but rather the moment a person is born again, they they pass from death into life. You become an eternal being, a citizen of God's kingdom at the moment you accept Christ into your life and you're saved. And so therefore the laws of the kingdom apply to you now even though you're not physically in heaven yet the rules of the kingdom, the principles, the way it works, are still the same. And thus, we need to know them. And so Jesus communicates to his disciples and to us simple, basic laws, as simple and basic as gravity itself, but not in the physical, but rather the spiritual. And so he gives them these parables. He begins, we'll look at, start from verse 1. The first of these parables is the parable of the uh, sower, or the four soils. It says that the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, in those days, that was the PA system. I learned this in a most uh, uncomfortable way. You know, uh, as a young man, high school age, living on Lake Ontario, right right on the shore of Lake Ontario, you know, with my mother and my brothers and sisters. And, and a friend of mine uh, was over and we took my neighbor's canoe and we went out onto the seashore and we were a pretty good distance away from the shore. I mean, not, not at all a stone's throw. I mean, it was more like, you know, a, a, a driving range distance, you know, out from the shore. We were quite a ways out. We were talking about things that we had done on the previous weekend. <laughs> unsaved high school you know whatever and you know we came in uh, you know however much longer later and put everything away and walked in the house and my mother who was standing there in the kitchen looked at me and she said I heard that <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and I, I realized later that you can, when someone's in that, you can hear everything they say because the way the sound travels across the water, especially if it's calm, you know, you, you it just carries. You can hear clearly things that were spoken at a great distance. And so that the PA system here, Jesus pushes out and he begins to speak from, you know, uh, on the sea to the multitude that's on the shore. And listen, it says in verse three, that he spoke many things unto them in parables saying behold a sower went forth to sow and when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth and when the sun was up they were scorched and because they had no root They withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so he gives this first parable. And that's the conclusion of it. He doesn't apply it. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't illustrate further. That is the whole of the message, uh, of the mystery, if you would, that he um, began to communicate. Uh, Notice in verse 10, it says, And the disciples came, and they said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, we're going to look in Mark's gospel in a minute, and we're going to discover that this question came later. They didn't raise their hand from the shore and ask this question uh, right after it. This, This interaction came later when they were in the house. It says that they asked him, and they said, well, why do you do that? Why do you use parables when you teach? And notice the response of Jesus in verse 11. It says that he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you, that is, those of you that walk with me, my disciples, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, a mystery is something that is unknown or unseen. It's an intangible truth. And he says, it's given unto you as my disciples to know the mysteries, the intangible truths, the ways, the secrets of my kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, that is, the multitude, the whole, the, the whole cross-section of society, he says, it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even what he has. Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, that is, even though it's right in front of their eyes, they see it physically, they really don't see it, because it's intangible. It's invisible. And so though it's right there in front of them, the multitude, they don't get it. They don't see it. They seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not. They all heard what I said, but not one of them understood it. They heard it, but they didn't hear it. It's intangible. It's spiritual. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by by hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and you shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart. Notice that understanding is in the heart, not in the mind. And should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. And then he gets into the interpretation, which we will look at. But you know, here it's interesting that he makes this distinction between the disciple, that the believer in Christ, and those two things are supposed to be synonymous. A believer is a disciple. It isn't that there are the believers and then there's the disciples. You know, A believer is a disciple. And there's a distinction between the disciple and the rest of the world. That They're not all the same. And that Jesus spoke in such a way that those that knew him would hear and understand, they would see and perceive, they would be changed and affected in their heart, the deepest part of their life. But to those on the outside, it would be completely ineffectual. It would have no effect on them at all whatsoever. Now, here's the funny thing, is that the disciples that Jesus just said, yeah, to you it's given, they didn't get it either. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll we'll see that in a minute. But he gave them this first parable. And what we have, we have uh, six components, six things that make up this parable that Jesus just gave. First of all, there is a sower. There are seeds, there are birds, there are affecting agents, such as the rocks in the one illustration, the sun, and, and uh, in another, the thorns, you know, so those affecting agents. And then number five, there is soil, and finally, there is fruit. And so there are six tangible things that we interact with every day. Every one of us can understand all of those things, that's what a parable is it's taking something that is tangible and understandable and then applying it to something that's invisible and spiritual in order to communicate an invisible truth and so he takes those six components things that we interact with every day and that we understand and then he teaches us something about his kingdom he uncovers a mystery. Now the disciples had no clue. It, keep a finger here and just turn to Mark. It's just you're in Matthew, so just one, one book to the right. Mark chapter four. And it's the, it's the same account, but I I, I want to get the interpretation from Mark because it's a little bit uh, shorter, number one, <laughs> and it's also a little bit more concise. It's clearer, but he adds a couple things. That, that Matthew doesn't tell us. Um, start in, in verse 9, and, and you know, we'll, you'll know see the, the continuity, the flow of the conversation. He says in Matthew 4, 9, he says, He said unto them, let, let, He that hath ears, let him hear. And then in verse 10, it says, And when he was alone, so we know this is later on now, they that were about him with the twelve asked him, of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear. We already read that, you know. Uh, But then in verse 13, he, he says this. He's going to answer the question. What does it mean, they said. And he says, Now I'm going to tell you what it means. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Now pause right there because that's a real important phrase in, in in a study of the Gospels. There is a term that is used in um, theological circles, or you know those that that study the Bible, and it's 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 kind of a um, it, it's a it's a it's a law of Bible interpretation, and it's called uh, expositional constancy. And, and what that means is that when when something is symbolic in the bible for something else the the law of expositional constancy means that it always is symbolic of the same thing in other words if soil is symbolic of something in the bible it's every time soil is symbolic it's symbolic of the same thing it doesn't change it isn't one time symbolic of a man's heart but then the next time it's symbolic of sin It doesn't work that way, that there's a constancy to the way, and that's for our sake. God did that on purpose because he knows we're not that smart. You know, we need that. That the thorns, symbolic, always the same thing. You know, the sun or the birds or whatever it is. And that's why Jesus says that if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all parables? And here's the clue that he's given to us, is that when Jesus tells us that something represents something, in in a parable every single time that that you know physical object is used it means the same thing and that's a key to understanding not just this parable but all parables you understand and so he tells them that there in verse 13 then he gives the interpretation in verse 14 he says that the sower sows the word and these are they by the wayside That is, you know, the ones that the birds came. Where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. So number two. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so they endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns. Number three, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And then verse 20, number 4 And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirty fold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And so he expounds for them now what this parable means and what these things refer to, and he gives us the keys to the components, the things uh, that that make up uh, the, the parable. He says that the sower is the one who speaks forth the word to a person, to a human. The seed is the word that is then sown into the person that's hearing. The birds, he says, are symbolic of Satan, who in some cases robs the word that it is not heard or understand in them that are listening. The affecting agents, he defines the rocks, the sun, the thorns, he defines them in the various instances. The soil is the heart of men, on which the seed is sown, and then the fruit, of course, is the fruit of the Christian life. Uh, Galatians 5:22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's, it's the nature of Christ, it's the fullness of the Christian experience or the effect of the gospel. Upon a life. And so he does that, and then he says, Now there are four different types of heart. There are four different things that happen when the Word of God is sown, four different responses, and then he expounds on them. And the first one, I, I, I call it the hardened and the closed ground. The hardened and the closed ground. And here, here's what happens is that the Word of God is spoken, whether it be one on one, or whether it be Someone listening to a radio broadcast or sitting in a pew in a church and the word is being spoken, the gospel is being shared. And this person is unsaved. They don't know Christ. They don't know God at all. They are completely closed off. They don't want to know about God. they're, They're not interested in God. They, they're interested in doing their own thing. They've suppressed the truth, and, and they want nothing to do with God whatsoever. And, and what happens is that that person will hear the word, and it's completely foreign to them. They don't understand it at all. They don't like it. It, it repulses them, and, and they, they, they scoff at it. They make excuses for why it's foolishness and why it's not true. And, and what Jesus is saying is that in that instance when that's happening, Satan is right there robbing the word and keeping it from, from even affecting the heart at all. It's just like if you took a handful of grass seed and you threw it on a sidewalk or on, in the middle of a street. That's, it's going to be the same effect. You're going to get nothing. It's bird food, what you've just done. And when you put the word of God upon someone whose heart is in that condition, it's so hardened, it's just a, a block of concrete. It takes no effect whatsoever. And I remember being that. I remember that part of my life when, when my heart was nothing but a slab of concrete. And when I would hear the word, it was an annoyance to me because something was on my concrete. <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and, and I, was, I kicked against it. I hated the word of God. I didn't understand it at all. It, was, it didn't make any sense. It was offensive, you know. And, and I remember what happened when I finally did get saved when when God broke through and he saved me it completely changed for the first time in my life I understood what I was hearing not perfectly't it's not like you know you understand everything but for the first time there, were, there there was something germinating it was coming to life. It was beginning to make sense. You, you'd hear a verse and, and and you would immediately in your mind be able to relate it to a story that you heard as a child growing up about, you know, Ezekiel's bones or Noah's ark or, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 or something, you know, walking on water. And wait a minute, that's just like this. And, and something begins to happen inside. And, and when the seed germinates and there's life and, and you're no longer in that instance, the word of God is no longer repulsive. But strangely, now you feel drawn to it. When you hear it on the radio, your, your first thought isn't, ah, get that off of there. You know when, when you hear someone start talking about the Lord your your immediate reaction is oh would they stop stop don't talk about that that's religion we don't do that but but instead you're drawn your your ears are perked and and the internal response is like you know how you know you know how like at some point in your life there was a song that you loved and you listened to it a thousand times until you hated it you know and and now even to this day whenever you hear that song it brings you back to that part of your life. You, you remember the people that you knew at that time in your life. And you remember where you worked or what you were doing or where you lived. And th- that song does something inside of you. And that's what the word does when you're really born again, when you're alive. It doesn't repulse you. It quickens you. It, it, it draws you. There's something living about it, something alive. And so Jesus is saying that this first soil, these people, they're, they're completely closed off and the word of God has no effect on them whatsoever. End of story. It's nothing but bird food and Satan is the bird that is robbing, uh, robbing that seed from them. The second, uh, the second type of soil is what I like to call the spiritual miscarriage. It's the spiritual miscarriage. And what this is, is this is the picture of the person who has some some soil there's there's a place for the word to catch but their heart is completely cluttered with lifeless matter that's what a rock is it's lifeless matter it it takes up space in otherwise good soil and it corrupts the 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 potential of good crops and so it's someone whose life is their soil is saturated with lifeless matter and when the seed hits it it, it germinates, it resonates. It's the person who's sitting in the church or riding in the car or that you're talking to and and it's going in, it's getting in. They're understanding it, they're perceiving it. They can sense that there's truth in what you're saying and they'll even respond to it. There's a response to the word. But, But what happens is this, is that now that seed germinates and there's something alive, there's an acknowledgement of the truth of it and an understanding, and even I would say a, a simple faith that there, there's something here, there's something, there's something real. But that what happens is is that that root immediately begins to, to to try to grab onto something. It's looking for soil, it's looking for a foundation, a place to grip. And, and what happens is that it it comes into contact with some of the lifeless matter in the heart. The root hits one of those rocks, and now there's a decision to make in that life, in that heart. Is that I can either you know, take this rock that is inhibiting this root, and I can remove it to make room for the roots, or I can resist. And I can say, no, that rock is, is, is part of my life. That lifelessness is part of what I do. That It's part of what I am, and I'm not going to move it. It, that's going to stay there. So if this thing's going to grow, fine. But I'm not going to let it affect anything else in my life. I, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to take things out of my life for the sake of this this new birth, this new life, this this root that's beginning to to take hold in my heart. If it can find a place, fine. Because I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But I ain't getting rid of these rocks. And so, so so what happens is now a person begins to, to try to, to, to keep both of these things alive. I want this rock garden here, but I also want this this thing. And, and unfortunately, in America, you can live a long time that way. In the United States of America, a plant can survive for a long time in this type of environment, because we really have very few trials. <laughs> We, we really do. We, we, I mean, what, what are our trials compared to what the rest of the world goes through? You know, you can live a long time that way, but, but be sure that at some point, whether it's sooner or later, there's going to come a conflict where it's either the root or the rock, and both of them cannot be there. And when the tribulation and the trial comes and the root needs to go deeper in order to keep the thing alive, if you're not willing to get rid of the rock, the plant dies. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. They have no depth. They have no root. And they won't get rid of the rocks. And so tribulation now comes. Trouble comes in the life. Depression hits. Discouragement sets in satan throws a fiery dart of temptation in some way and now there's no root there and the rocks are taking up the space and so there's a miscarriage it didn't catch it didn't take and the person immediately jesus says that they fall away when those trials come the third type of soil i call it the samson demas lot You know, we know what it's like to have a lot, right? A lot. I bought a lot of land, L-O-T, you know. Well, there is another lot in the Bible. (laughs) It's not a plot of land. It was a man named Lot. And he had two cousins in the Bible, not literally, but spiritually, Samson, and another in the New Testament named Demas. And it's who Jesus is referring to. It's the examples that are set forth in Scripture according to this third example. And here's the thing. This is the most fearful, one of the most fearful things to recognize about the, the, the kingdom of God. is Realize this, is that the soil, the heart, the potential in this life, the one that Jesus is talking about here, is uninhibited ground. It's not, there's no birds. In other words, Satan's not there. He's got no place to try to take the word. It isn't that the ground is, is cumbered with lifeless matter so that there, there is nothing that's keeping back full potential of fruitfulness in this life, the one that Jesus is talking about now. In other words, the conditions of the soil, the conditions of the heart are prime to bear good fruit in the life. It's not internal circumstance that this one is up against. It's external. It's outside circumstance. It's those that are sown among thorns. And it's the problem is the environment that it's in. And Jesus said that these are the ones that, because of the cares of this life and the desire for riches and the lusts for other things, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Their lives fail to bear fruit and become Christ-like because they're too consumed with the affairs of this life, the pleasures of this life, and the pursuits of this life to bear eternal kingdom fruit. They're too earthly oriented, and so they become choked out. The Bible says of Samson, he was given incredible power spiritually. He was given an incredible call and a great privilege He was the judge in Israel for 20 years, but he couldn't beat the pleasures of his flesh. He couldn't give up his lust for women, and it ended up taking him down. And he spent, instead of spending his life in service to the Lord, in the glory of God's presence and God's ways, and and in honor. He spent the the, the prime of his life as a blind man walking in a circle around an olive press grinding olive oil for the rest of his life as a slave. The saddest testimony of his life is that the dead that he slew in his death was more than he slew in his life. In other words, when he pulled down the pillars of the house and killed himself, murdering all the Philistines that were there, he, he did more good by dying than he did by living. That's what that verse says sad it's the thorns Paul had a companion someone who labored with him that traveled with him that was a part of the ministry a man named Demas he had the privilege of walking alongside probably the greatest man that served in the church that you and I are a part of he was with the apostle Paul a privilege that's unparalleled by anything any of us will ever have and yet Paul would write at the end of his life and he would say, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed into Thessalonica. It means Thessalonica means victory of lies. He loved the world too much and his love for the world made him forever a reproach upon God's kingdom. And his life became a shipwreck, not because he didn't have the potential but because he couldn't get past his love for this world, the things in this world. When you think of Lot, the third example, the nephew of Abraham, he was exactly the same as Abraham. You could say side by side, the two soils were the same. They both came from the same place. They both essentially responded to the same call. They both had the same act of faith in leaving their father's house and their friends and and their kindred and departing into a country. They were side by side. But there came a point where there was a strife, not between Lot and Abraham, but between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. And so Abraham, as the older, said to the younger, he said, look, you make the decision which way you want to go. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go south, I'll go north. You go where you want and I'll go the other way because it's just, we're too many. We can't be in the same place. And it says this, it said, Lot lifted up his eyes towards Sodom. And he saw that it was a good and pleasant land. And he said, I'm going to go there. And it became his demise. Following after the lust of his eyes. And so Lot went to Sodom. He chose Sodom. And it became his demise. The warning to you and I is beware of the cares of this life and the desire for riches and the lust for other things because those external qualities can take good soil and cause it to be fruitless, to choke the word. And it's probably the most pertinent warning for you and I, this, this concept that Jesus is talking about. And then finally, the fourth soil is the good ground. And that is where there's very little to say about it. It's the shortest of all explanations. And it's basically where there's patient cultivation. There is attendance to it that's fed. It's watered. And it's patiently brought to the place of fullness and completion. And the seed grows. It germinates. It bears good fruit. And there's varying fruit depending on the plant. Some 30-fold, 300%. Some 60-fold, 600%. And some 90-fold. 900% 900% or whatever. Forget the math. You get the idea. <laughs> you know? And and so he, he, he gives this example of someone who's patient. They understand the way things work in this kingdom of God. They understand the things that hinder and choke, the things that, that Satan, where Satan can get in. They know how to defend against those things, and they've prepared their way. They've put the borders of their fields, and they've cultivated the ground. Brought forth the fruit unto completion. And so Jesus gives this example. And it's interesting to me to consider, uh, as we close that parable, it's, that, that it's only one in four. That it's only one in four, 25%. If you think about that, you know, the, 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 the people that you, you sit with in the church, one in four are going to come to a point where they bear fruit in their Christian life. That's not a good statistic. And I'm sure that, you know, if any were there and they did get it and they did understand, the question they would have in their mind is, well, which one out of four is it among us, you know? <laughs> which ones are really real and which ones aren't? Well, Jesus addresses that in the next parable. He moves on, and if you look uh, <clears throat> there, it, it, back in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 24, and I'm quickly realizing we're not going to get through these. That's okay. <laughs> what did <what'd> you say? <laughs> Matthew chapter 13, and it says in verse 24, it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, And went his way, the tares a weed. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also, the weeds. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so he gives them the second story, the second example of something that we can understand and we interact with every day, and he's teaching a spiritual lesson. Here are the components of this parable. First of all, there's a sower, again. Second of all, a field. Third, there's wheat, and there are weeds. Fourth, again, there is an enemy. Number five, there is an inquiry amongst the servants of this farmer, this householder. And then finally, there's a harvest. And then Jesus gives the interpretation if you skip over to verse 36. Jesus, again, helps us with this one. He tells us what it means. It says Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares or the weeds of the field. And Jesus answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field. Is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares or the weeds are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered or the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, The weeds in this parable that he'd be speaking of and that they would understand what he was talking about, it was a a plant that's called the bearded darnel. And the amazing thing about the bearded darnel is that as it grows, it looks absolutely identical to a grain of wheat. You cannot tell the difference between a bearded darnel and a grain of wheat during its early and middle stages of development. They, They look identical. And, and you can't tell the difference until the, the harvest time because what happens is that if it's, if it's a true head of wheat, then the grains of wheat are forming underneath the chaff, you know, inside the, you know, that, that head, those, that covered head. And as those grains of wheat develop and come into maturity, it, it brings a weight to the top of the stalk. And as, the, as harvest time comes, you'll see that those heads of wheat begin to bow down and, and the bearded Darnell will not because it doesn't have that same weight. And so the, the way that you could tell is that the bearded Darnell, it, it springs up, it, it stand up, look at me, you know, I, I'm right up here, look, you know, I'm in the field. But the bearded Darnell, as it begins to bear, I mean, the wheat, as it begins to bear fruit, it will bow down and then then the, the, the reapers can go in. And, and so, and so the, you know, the, the idea here is that Jesus is saying, and here's the lesson, is that in the field, There are the children of the kingdom, and there are those that aren't. And they're all mixed up together. Is that there are some people that profess, that appear, that had every outward indication that they're a child of God. But they're as wicked and as uh, foreign as the devil himself sitting in the congregation. They're the children of the wicked one. And here's what Jesus is saying, is that there's no way for you to know which is which because they look exactly the same on the outside. And and, and so, you know, they come to him, the, the, the people, and they say, well, should we root them out? Should we, you know, put on our detective hat and, and, and we'll become spiritual sleuths and we'll become sin sniffers and we're going to go in there and we're going to figure out which ones are real and which ones aren't and we're going to kick out the ones that aren't real. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Don't do that because you are are a very terrible judge of what is authentic and what is not. And human beings are not qualified to make those decisions, those, in, those, those uh, judgments. We can't. We're terrible at it. You know, if they, somebody said one time that there are two things that are going to shock us when we get to heaven. Two things are gonna be, that are going to blow our mind when we get to heaven. Number one is who is there? Because we're going to look at some and we're going to be like, you? (laughs) You made it to heaven? I I can't, of all the people in the world, I never would have thought that you would would come to Christ. That you would make a profession of faith. And and our minds will be blown in heaven because of the people that we see there. The other thing that's going to blow our mind when we get to heaven are the people that aren't there. Wait, where's this one? Where are they? It wasn't real. It was all just a, a game to them. They, they, they were just putting on a show. It was just words, praise the Lord, brother, hallelujah, I'm praying for you. That was all just a, a game with them. But, they, but it was never real. They, 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 they were make-believers, not real believers. You know, well, what gives? You know, And we'll be shocked at some of the people that we think, oh, they're, they're definitely, I mean, that, that's one that he's going to be there see, we can't see the heart. We can't see what's going on underneath. We don't see what God sees. And so therefore, the lesson is love everyone. Because you can't tell the difference between which ones are real and which ones aren't. So don't try to. Don't become a ju- You're not a judge of men. Leave it in the hand of the Lord. Let the Lord worry about that. We're free just to love. But here is where the identification comes into view. And and, and this can only apply to yourself, is this, is that if you're real, when you begin to bear fruit, it's manifested in humility. You bow. You become more lowly. You recognize who you are. And you're brought low before the Lord. And see, the the, the real Christian, as they come into maturity, will always bear the mark of humility. There will always be that, that reverential, lowliness in the life of a christian just as you see in the wheat the bearded darnell never they'll stand up look at me everything is outward here i am but in the child of god there will always be a a, a wonderful humility well read read the rest of the uh kingdom parables i'm not gonna i don't know if we'll come back and, and look at them or if we'll move on to the next thing next week uh but but you know read through them read the rest of these parables hear the instruction of Jesus understand the things that he's trying to communicate think of it think of him as our father our parent and he's seeking to communicate this is how things work in our kingdom this is the these are the laws of the kingdom it's a growth it's measured by fruit it's not about outward appearance he warns about so many things. There's so much to glean. So I'm not guaranteeing that we'll look at the rest of these. We may move on to the next sermon, the next subject that Jesus teaches. So read ahead. And if we do look at them, then, you know, you'll, you'll get a double dose. But I, don't, I just don't know yet. So read ahead. Any questions? Andy? You know, we all. I think we all. Um, we all start at, as the slab of concrete. You know what I mean. Right. Well, it's. I mean, if you think of the parable, if it's like a field, there's no field ever anywhere on the planet that that has never been touched by man and it's ready for seed and it's going to bring forth a harvest. It always requires work. You know, as far as, you know cutting down the the things that are taking up the ground and getting rid of the rocks and then tilling up the soil and then you know putting the proper protection in place for pesticide you know for pests or for you you know what i mean and it is so we we all go through that whole thing and and you know you can come to a point where you know i'm willing to yield this much to you god i'm willing to remove the rocks that go down that deep you know but but it's going to take a lot more to remove the ones that are that are from here to here you know so you know, we'll talk about it when the roots get there, you know, or something. And, and it is a growth. And, and that's really the point of all of, all of this. You know, every parable uh, that, that he talks about really has that undertone that the kingdom of God doesn't work like a light switch. It isn't an incantation. I say this, I do that, then this happens. It's growth. And, and growth is imperceptible. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes cultivation. And everything in the kingdom of God works that way. Uh, there's no immediate thing, you know. Yes, he does. Any other questions? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's two different percentages. There's there 25 percent of the illustrations was good ground, but in the good illustration, it was 30, 60, or 100. You know, so yeah, I think it could be 45. You know, it could be whatever. You know. The, the Bible says that the kingdom of God, or that, that our God, it says, is an all-consuming fire. You know, it says that in, in Exodus, you know, it, when, when God meets Moses and you see that whole interaction take place, it says it in Hebrews, and, and he, he constantly is, is swallowing up more of us. You know what I mean? And, and his desire is to have 100%, you know, and, and, and there's, none, there's nothing that keeps us from going there except that he won't force us. You know, so we we have the choice to make day by day, you know. It's because it's a whole spiritual development. It's, it's it's real you know it's real a real warning That's a healthy place to be. Real healthy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What's that, Mark? right <laughs> all twelve, right <laughs> all twelve ran off <laughs> yeah, well, listen, we got a couple minutes. split off into threes, pray for each other, uh, you know it doesn't have to be anything too too long, you know, and you don't have to but feel free to share it pray, pray for one another, and uh you know all right, so do it, <laughs> what's that? It's in order.